please turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Exodus chapter 12. I know you were expecting the book of Acts this morning. This is part of our Acts series. Last week, we looked at Acts 2, 42 to 47. We called it the ordinary life of the church. And the verse that we're looking at in Acts 2 this morning is one part of, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. That's our verse. And so we're looking at the part, specifically the breaking of bread. We believe, we said that that was talking about the Lord's Supper. Communion. Some people call it the Eucharist. We're looking at that specific subject for the next couple of weeks. Breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. And we're going to start in Exodus 12. And the reason for this is whenever we've seen something happen in the book of Acts, we have to ask ourselves, why did they do it this way? The church did not just begin doing things because it seemed like a good idea. There was always a reason. There was a reason why they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was a reason why they baptized. There was a reason why they had the Lord's Supper. There was a reason why they prayed. And we have to be asking ourselves, these questions. Why did they do it this way? And to answer that question, I believe we need to go back to Exodus chapter 12, to the Passover, and then we're going to jump into Luke chapter 22 and the Gospels in the New Testament, and uh, we're going to spend two weeks in Luke 22. Okay? Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read the first 14 verses of Exodus chapter 12. Nation of Israel is in Egypt, in slavery. And you might have heard that song, Let My People Go. That's what's happening. Moses is petitioning Pharaoh on behalf of God to let the two million Israelites out of slavery in Egypt that they might go into their own land. Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man should take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household, and if a household is too small for a lamb, that he and his nearest neighbor should take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, 
your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever, and you shall keep it as a feast. Let's go through to verse 26. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. This is God's word to us. Let me run through this very briefly so we understand what's happening when we come to the New Testament. God raises up Moses to lead these people out of slavery and into their own land. And there's a series of plagues because Pharaoh keeps saying no. He's disobeying God. So God sends plagues of judgment increasing in severity. And the Passover finds its occasion on the night of the tenth and final plague. The covenant people of Israel were told to take a male lamb without blemish, about a year old, on the tenth day of the month. And on the fourteenth, they would kill that lamb. It would be roasted and it would be eaten with unleavened bread, sour herbs, and wine. The blood would be put on the doorposts and inside the houses. And the people would be dressed and ready to leave. And that night, God's presence would pass through the land of Egypt. I know we didn't see it there. It's called the angel of death. would pass through the land of Egypt, and the firstborn male child and animal would die. This is God's judgment for sin, that the firstborns would die. And you can argue, and people have argued, that this is unfair, but the very fact that God is demonstrating mercy to some in this situation is amazing. Judgment is deserved because of who God is. And we've seen that all those with blood on their homes would be spared. They were all Israelites. I imagine some Israelites chose to disobey this and did not, did not do it. But we're not told. All those with the blood on the doorposts of their houses would be spared. And the significance of the blood isn't that the blood itself has magical properties. And I, I want to say that over and over, and people, just so we clear. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The blood, the significance of the blood is that it is being given in death. That someone had to die for this blood to exist. The punishment for sin is death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were told, you shall surely die. 
and God provided an animal sacrifice and substitute for them in the garden. But here, we have something similar happening, but on a much larger scale. And there's a few things we should learn and can learn about God from these events, and we must not tone them down. Because this event makes no sense if we tone God and His attributes down. Firstly, that God is dangerous. And it is a dangerous thing to ignore that. The judgment that is placed upon all these people is done by a good God. Not some bad despot. There's a good God. Death is the result of sin and God judges sin because it is ultimately against him. He is good and he is without sin, therefore he is not a hypocrite in any way, shape or form. And along with that we see mercy and grace. There is judgment but there is mercy and grace. God provides mercy by not giving judgment to those who trust in him for their redemption. And we want that, by the way. We want that. Do we want a God that looks down on rape and murder and suffering and molestation and all those horrible, horrible things that do happen? And he says, so what? Do we want that? That is not a good God. Our problem is is that we do not then see our own need. We want justice against others and mercy for ourselves. We want to be treated well. But God does provide mercy and grace according to his ways. And we see a principle here in Exodus 12. He says that the lamb dies in the place of the people. Someone did die that night in Exodus 12 so the Israelites might be saved. It was each household's lamb. This is God making a covenantal promise to his people. That he will bless them and protect them from judgment if they obey his word. Through a sacrifice on their behalf. Prepare this sacrifice and you shall be spared. And this is an amazing corporate event for the people of Israel. Eating the Passover lamb meant fellowship. It's fellowship. Because there's fellowship in the blessing of the blessings that come through the Lamb's death. Participation in the blessings of the Lamb's death. They get to live. They get to be spared. They get to be come out of Egypt. There was protection from the curse of God's judgment. And it meant that the people of God were bound together in this event of deliverance from the judgment of God. I must say, if you go through something immense with someone else, you go through a great trial, or you go through something that's really difficult with a group of people, it kind of binds you together. Can can we call marriage that kind of event? It kind of binds you together because you've suffered and you've gone through various things and ups and downs. Well, this event of Passover bound the people of Israel together. And it was all because of this lamb. This lamb that spared them from the judgment of God. Ultimately, the hero is God himself. We see one other thing here in in Exodus 12, is that this Passover meal 
wasn't to just be done once. It was to be celebrated each year, and it is forever. The perpetual remembrance, the perpetual sacrifice. It was a thanksgiving event for these people. Thankfulness and for God's faithfulness in passing over them in judgment and delivering them out of slavery in Egypt. So each year, they did this. Each year, over and over and over again. A Thanksgiving meal of roast lamb. Anyone having roast lamb this afternoon? Tonight? Should do that more often. Roast lamb, unleavened bread, herbs, four cups of wine. Watered down. Watered down a little bit. Every year for approximately 1,440 years. Give or take. That's how long this happened. Each year, Passover was celebrated. So what on earth has this got to do with the Lord's Supper? Please turn with me to Exodus, uh, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And we'll be in this text for a couple of weeks. We won't exhaust it, because there's lots in here. We'll be here for two weeks. Let's read. Verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. This is God's word. 
The chief priests and scribes were seeking to put Jesus to death. The most respected Jewish religious leaders are seeking to kill Jesus because of who he claimed to be. He promised to be the Son of God. He promised, he said that he was the promised Messiah that Israel had been waiting for since way back in the Old Testament, the Savior of the people. And Judas is a disciple of Jesus who would betray Jesus. And they began scheming. Now, Luke 22 is many years later, about 1,440 years after the Passover. And each year Passover has been celebrated as a thanksgiving and remembrance for those events of Exodus 12. It is a big deal. I imagine if we think of Christmas, okay, they don't, they didn't start celebrating Passover back in October like we do with Christmas. That's a bit crazy, but this is a big deal. This is Christmas in their world, but probably even bigger, and everyone is celebrating it. And this is a remembrance of the events of Exodus 12. And when we say remembrance, perhaps we use the word remember a little bit differently to how they did. If I say to you, do you remember that time we went somewhere? You'll say, oh yeah, sure, I remember that. It's, we just think, oh, that happened back then and it's no longer present reality. It was just simply an event in the past. But the important thing in the Jewish mind is that when they think, think of a remembrance, it's a celebration of God's faithfulness in the past, celebrated in the present, and Trusting for God's faithfulness in the future. It's not something that all oh, happened back then and now means nothing to us. It's something that happened back then that we can trust in God now in the present because of that. And we can trust in God in the future because of how he dealt with us all those years ago. And so Peter tells, Jesus tells his disciples, Peter and John, to go prepare the Passover meal. This is on Thursday, before what we know as Good Friday. Let's put ourselves in Peter and John's shoes right now. They ask the question, where will you have us prepare it? This is everything like a single, no offense, 20-year-old guy being completely unprepared, making all plans at the last minute. That's what it would have seemed. You're asking us to prepare Passover. There's no refrigerated lambs. You're asking us to prepare Passover. Jerusalem is packed. The preparation doesn't take five minutes. You're telling us to go find a lamb, take it to the temple, get it ritually slaughtered, take it back, prepare some unleavened bread, get some wine, and find a place. There's no vacancies anywhere. Find a place to celebrate this. And cook the lamb. Remember Exodus 12? Don't eat it raw. Roast it. Let to find all of this. And so when Peter and John said, where will you have us prepare it? 
picture some exasperation in their voice. Oh my goodness. This is impossible. Jesus then tells them, find a man who's carrying some water, follow him home, and when you get to his house, tell them that Jesus, the teacher, would like to take the Passover in his house, well, with his disciples. Find the master of this house and ask if you can use his room. And so they do this, probably wondering, what in the world is going on? And it says, Luke says, Luke tells us, it happened just as Jesus said it would. A seemingly impossible task came together so easily. And do you know why I think that happened? Because it's not so much, I think, that Jesus sent out his disciples to prepare the Passover, but he prepared the Passover for them. Jesus prepared the Passover for them, and it came together just as he said it would. And with this, with this background, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He takes the bread and he says, this is my body given for you. He takes the cup and says that this cup that is poured out is the new covenant of my blood. This new covenant was the better promised covenant of Jeremiah 31. We've talked about this a lot over the last few months. But the final promise of this covenant between God and his people was that I will remember your sins and your iniquities no more. Your sins are forgiven. There is no judgment left for you. That is what is being pictured here. And maybe you've been in church your entire life, but you have not thought of the fact, why the body and the blood? The body and the blood is its rich language. Hebrews and Leviticus in multiple places tells us that the body of the sacrificed animal would be placed upon an altar and the blood would be sprinkled. That was a sacrifice. There were two parts to a sacrifice at all times. There was a body and there was blood. During the original Passover meal, the body was roasted and eaten, and the blood was placed on the doorway. This was necessary for it to be a sacrifice. And this is rich language that Jesus is using. This is my body. This is my blood. Jesus prepared this Passover meal, this final Passover meal. Jesus prepared it. He knew exactly what was going on. And the Lord's Supper is absolutely, undeniably based on the Passover. Undeniably. But it's not Passover. It's not the Passover meal. It's not the same. It's different. You might have noticed something about this morning. We have the elements in front of me here. We don't eat roast lamb in the Lord's Supper. And I know many of us will probably go, oh, that would make it so much better. We don't eat roast lamb in the Lord's Supper. I know I would take any excuse to eat roast lamb. We have the bread. We have the wine. 
Where's the lamp? Where's the lamp? Jesus. Jesus. John the Baptist, when he met Jesus in John 1.29, his first words were, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul makes this so explicitly clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, where he says, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. And that's what all of this is talking about. This amazing celebration meal from Exodus 12 is pointing right forward to Jesus, Hundreds and hundreds of years later, and his death on the cross. Jesus fills this celebration with enormous meaning, and it's all about him. The last Passover that Jesus shared with his disciples was the last Passover in history. Because he himself is the Passover lamb. Who prepared this lamb? Who prepared this ultimate Passover lamb? We see that here. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and Judas. They prepared the Passover lamb to be slain. We must then ask ourselves, why was Jesus not ritually or sacrificially, I know this is a bit brutal, why was Jesus not ritually or sacrificially killed in the temple like the other lambs would have been in Jerusalem? Jesus was hung on a cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem. He bypassed the temple entirely because he is the true temple. The purpose of the temple was that man and woman were able to worship God and have their sins forgiven. Jesus bypassed the temple. He was not killed in the temple. He was killed outside of the temple because he's the true temple. He's the one that allows us to be brought near to God. The Passover lamb died to redeem or free the people from the curse of God's judgment. We see that in Exodus 12. But hear these words in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Jesus cursed in our place. And we sung this this morning. We see something of how Jesus forgives sin. He stands in as a substitute. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the righteous one, was punished for the unrighteous people who that us, that we ourselves might be made righteous. The righteous for the unrighteous. The forgiveness of sins is simply called atonement, and that word is in your Bible. 
Jesus died as a substitutionary atonement, the righteous for the unrighteous. The most, one of the most important denied doctrines in the world, and we see it so clearly here in the Passover. Someone had to die for sinners, someone righteous. Jesus is able to finally remove the judgment for sin because this lamb, this Passover lamb, is not like the other lambs. This lamb is perfectly righteous because he kept God's law perfectly in his life and his death and his resurrection. We can have our sins forgiven. God declares us righteous because Jesus was righteous in our place. Not because we ourselves are righteous, but because the one Lamb of God gave His life for us. He's righteous on our behalf. It's being so tied up in this truth pictured in the supper. Why don't we celebrate Passover anymore? Because Passover is a shadow of the true thing. If my wife is walking around a corner and the sun's behind her and I see her shadow and she comes up to me, I hug her, I don't hug the shadow. It's a shadow of the thing. It's a shadow of the reality. Passover is a shadow of the reality. We have the reality. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. And so when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, He's able to do that. He's able to give a law. He's able to give a command. I want you to do it this way now, because He's God. I can't change God's laws. I can't say I give you a new law. Jesus does. I want you to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He infuses it with greater meaning, even if we might be a little bit disappointed at our inability to eat lamb on Sunday. Do that in your own time. To close. To close. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. As we come to grow in our understanding of what is being pictured in the Lord's Supper, let's go back to Exodus 12, that fateful night. Let's go back. D.A. Carson, last year, in a message, put forward a hypothetical situation the day of the first Passover. It struck me, I remembered it, I'm using it. Two Jewish men in Egypt discuss the impending judgment of God on Egypt at Passover. Two men who both had sons who would die under the curse of judgment that night if they were not protected. Both of these men listened to Moses and killed that Passover lamb and put the blood on their doorways as they were told to. One had great confidence, great faith that his household would be spared. One had a little bit of confidence. He was quite nervous. I've done it, but I hope this works. Really hope this works. 
He had only a little bit of confidence. One man with great faith, one man with a little bit of faith. That night, God's judgment swept through the land. Which one of those two men lost their son that night? None of them. Neither of them lost their son that night. Because judgment does not pass over us because of the intensity of our faith. But on the grounds of the blood of the Lamb according to the promise of God. It is not the strength of your faith that ultimately forgives you. It is what your faith, whether it is great or small, is tying you to, and that is Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb. That's pictured in the Supper. Jesus did that for me. Jesus did that for you. That gives you faith. That bolsters your faith. That gives you assurance. You might be sitting here this morning going, I have great confidence that my sins are forgiven. Great. Take, eat, drink. And you might be sitting here this morning, I don't know, I am so bad, I am so messed up, I don't know if my sins are forgiven. Realize it's not about you. What your faith ties you to. 